I read you. Where are you? Flying blind on a rocket cycle. Flying blind on a rocket cycle? And now, my friend, the first rule of Italian driving. What's behind me is not important. Studying, studying. Here comes Cooper out of that outside move again. Cooper, outside. Can he pull the move? Matt Cooper with a brilliant move on the outside. Never seen that done through Mosses. And look at the run that Matt Cooper has. Hey, 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 everybody. Welcome back. Welcome back to the show that matters. The show of record. And of course, the show that's put you on pole position for news, commentary, and opinion in the world of motorcycle road racing. Yes, you are back now for episode 48. I guess that makes us the Jorge Loretto edition. Yes, the Lollipop Guild is uh, being represented today. As always, I am your host, the Duke, and it is with pleasure that I welcome you back for, as I said, episode 48 of Rumble Strip Radio. Yeah, a lot of good stuff uh, from racing in MotoGP at Shanghai over the last weekend. And, well, last week I said I'd get the show out to you much earlier. Well, I tried to do it yesterday. And after about the fourth take of uh, not getting the first five minutes right, I said, okay, that's enough. We'll just knock it out tomorrow. So here we are. It's uh, Thursday, yeah, just after noon here in Little Baghdad on the uh, 10th of May. Actually having a decent uh, decent week. So let's uh, get the administrative stuff out of the way. I'm having a good week except for I need to buy a new set of headphones again because, well, the ones I have, I replaced the... The, the the wires that come into the headphones there are some older Sennheisers that you can plug in different uh, um, uh, what's I don't know the the wire that goes from the input into the headphones well, I replaced them about five months ago and it needs to be replaced again because the one one ear keeps cutting out it drives me nuts all feedback always welcome had um, had a lot of really really good feedback from the Toby Moody interview. So would like to thank everyone for sending that in, uh, both through emails, response on some of the uh, different boards. So thank you very much um, for everyone, and I uh, passed uh, passed it along to Toby as well. So the email, rumblestripradio at gmail.com. You can send all your feedback here, things you like about the show, even things you don't like about the show. If you just want to say, hey. Uh, drop us a line. Let us know what's going on in uh, in your world. Of course, the website, www.rumblestripradio.com, where uh, you can go and download the show directly. You can also subscribe to the show there uh, via the iTunes link or via the RSS link. There's, of course, all the Google ads and the Google toolbar- toolbars that, if you uh, utilize those, will kick a couple pennies over to the show. And uh, I still got to do something because I've got the e-music thing up there. No one's... Uh, really done much with that lately, so I definitely need to change that out. I just got to find the appropriate thing to put in there. 
Of course, you can uh, dig us over at dig.com. I uh, will put that link in the show. Not, not, not too many people either, excuse me, people not uh, signed up at dig. Oh, sorry. I know there's one of you who hates it when I do that, but there's very little I can do about that. Um, but uh, go ahead and dig us up over there. And going to uh, send some love out to Liam Schubert this week, at, uh, our man Moto Liam on the Dantine Squad. I'm putting a link up uh, to his site um, where you can buy some of his gear. It's uh, it's an offshoot of the MotoLiam.com. Uh, just put a link in there. He's got a couple new shirts that you haven't seen, some, some kind of cool tiki stuff. Uh, or I don't know if it's tiki or if it's... Uh, a bit like the Easter Island face, but they're cool. They're cool shirts. So uh, help Liam out. Um, those guys make next to nothing. Uh, it, it's almost uh, almost embarrassing if you find out what those guys actually make. They're definitely doing it for the love and doing it for the passion. Um, but if you can help Liam out by buying some shirts and kicking a couple bucks his way, so he can actually afford to live, that would be outstanding. So we'll put that link in the show, in the show notes. I'm sorry. And uh, do want to thank our boy. Uh, our boy Sean, the man we uh, like to call Homer since he uh, twiddles the knobs down at the Fermi nuclear plant. And uh, someone else who uh, don't know who that is, but uh, we'll just say he uh, his handle is Silencer, uh, for putting up some reviews on the iTunes Music Store for Rumble Strip Radio. Gentlemen, do appreciate that. And if uh, more of you would like to do that, that would be great as well. And uh, if you'd just like to help the show out in general... Send me uh, send me a note, and uh, we'll show you. Uh, I'll let you know how you can do that through uh, through PayPal, through a direct donation. So, anyways, speaking of uh, f- uh, of Liam's gear, um, just wondering if anyone would be interested. Uh, check out Liam's store. Um, he's uh, let me know how that was set up and and everything. But uh, let me know if anyone would be interested in uh, Rumble Strip Radio gear because it's sort of a it's a store that's pretty easy to set up. Um, but if anyone's interested in Rumble Strip Radio gear, that'd be cool because that way, you know, you could have something. And uh, that's another way that uh, could help the show out as well as far as keeping some, some funding coming this way to keep uh, keep paying for the bandwidth. So, um, yeah, that'd be, that'd, uh, Strip, once again, Radio at gmail.com. See, this is why uh, after about four or five times yesterday, I just called it quits. I just had a little problem getting into the flow for whatever reason. So let's uh, take a peek at the news here and what's been going on this past week. Uh, lots of stuff, but uh, we'll just uh, hit on the head highlights here. Man, just gonna gonna battle through this one. This uh, this came out actually yesterday when um, I was typing up the show notes. But apparently, Ducati is chasing uh, James Toslin again. Uh, as many of you know. Ducati was talking to Toslin about signing him and then putting him on the Dantine squad. But some advice from Neil Hodgson to Toslin said uh, that if you really want to do anything in MotoGP, you're going to be have to be, you're going to have to be on a direct factory team. That anything a satellite team uh, is not is not worth your time. I wonder if he might be rethinking that a little bit based on what Dantine's done this year. Uh, but I guess. Uh, Ducati is hot after him again this year. Obviously, he's having a great, great year in World Superbike uh, with the Tenkata squad. He's won at least one race every round this year. Not done the double. Came within, what, .09 of doing the double last week at Assen, or two weeks ago now at Assen. But uh, you got to believe that Tenkata's, if they're, if they're serious about going MotoGP racing, which they seem to be, 
that they're going to want to keep uh, Toslan for themselves, unless Ducati decides to um, add Tenkata to their satellite team. Uh, the odds of them having a Honda team are slim, based on how much how many Honda teams are floating out there already. So we'll see what happens there. It, was, it wasn't really something I thought about too much until just this moment, but. Uh, Ducati might be able to do um, a one-rider team for uh, for Tenkata as a satellite team, sort of in line with, with the Pramac. So who knows? We'll see what happens there. Or maybe do two, and then you have Toslin and um, and Hodson on that team. I, could be. Could be interesting. Speaking of Hodgson, he, uh, I guess he was out testing the uh, the Desmo Sedici in, in Germany. I think it was in Germany. Week and a half ago, and I guess he was uh, absolutely blown away by the grip of the Bridgestone tires that had just never, never been on tires that you know were that good. So uh, you know, give him a year of testing, and he might be ready to come back in MotoGP next year on you know on a satellite Ducati somewhere. The um, the one thing I would say is if Ducati wants to do something uh, with a second satellite team other than Premac. Tenkata would be great because they obviously have a team, they have a system, you know, they have the all the infrastructure to do it. It's it's set and ready to go there pretty much. I mean, the the formula is there anyways. Um, Dorna would be, I would think, be happy to kick in a few bucks on that one because uh, the British market being a very important market for MotoGP as far as TV coverage. And then if you could throw a... You know the, the dual pair of of Brits on there, even though they both live on the Isle of Man, um, of of Toslin and Hodgson. That would be, that could be good. I don't know. I'm literally I'm just thinking off the top of my head here. This might work. So uh, Tenkata has got uh, the infrastructure. Ducati might want to expand a little bit. Um, Dorna would be probably happy to kick in a few bucks. And the only reason I say that, they wouldn't go to, to Dan Team. The only, Dan Team may fit in, depends on what Barros is doing, depends on what kind of money Barros can help bring to the team. Uh, i got to believe Hoffman will stay. He seems to be coming up to speed a little more this year. Germany is also a very important TV market, and I'm sure there's a little bit of money flowing in from Dorna because of that. And then I think Hoff brings in a little bit here and there as well. So. That's why I would say Hoff will probably still be there next year. Barros kind of depends, although he's still smoking fast, and we'll we'll get to that when we talk about uh, talk about the race in Shanghai in a few minutes here. Uh, AMA was testing at uh, Miller Motorsports Park over the past couple days, and I guess Matt Maladin came out on top. I don't have the times handy. They were times were posted for uh, Tuesday. I think they were posted for Wednesday. But they just weren't. Excuse me, they were buried here and there. My apologies for that. Um, they were buried in a in a press release, just not in a good format, and just yeah. But um, I think Maladin Spee's your top two. Memory serves at least on Tuesday. Um, Jake Holt, uh, Jake Zemke, Holden Zemke, yes, uh, was was third. So. Like I said, I apologize for this. We're going to struggle through this one. I just <laughs> we need to get this one knocked out. I'll eventually get on a roll. Probably when we start talking about Shanghai. And well, oh, got to uh, got to watch this week's uh, episode of Fifth Gear last night. 
and uh, one good segment. Well, interesting segment, but uh, actually, kind of a cool segment on um, on there between uh, Toslin and Tiff Nadell on Fifth Gear, where it was the Fireblade versus a Civic Type R, right? SI Type R. I don't know whatever the Ricer terminology is for that stuff. Uh, but they were at Cadwell Park doing some stuff, and it was it was kind of cool. Toslin uh, definitely doing some 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 interesting riding. I guess there's a a bit of a jump there on one of the hills, and so he comes over, gets well, obviously off to the front wheel, way up in the air, got the back tire off the air, and pretty much just landed it in a wheelie and rode that off. That was that was kind of cool. A couple good back at it ends. Uh, worth your time if you uh, know where to go to get the torrent for that. You can watch the whole show. Uh, if not, it's it's all over YouTube as well, so you can uh, you can check that out as well. So. And uh, finally, for the news, yes, the TZR is for sale officially. The papers finally came from the state of Michigan. Uh, the title is in my hands. It was always my bike. They just never. Uh, it took them two years to finally get me the title. All kinds of interesting paperwork and this and that and going back and forth just because it's a uh, well, the bike came from Okinawa. And he came to the United States from Okinawa, from uh, from a friend of mine in Chicago when he was in the Marines. Came back, you know, stationed in North Carolina, titled it there. I signed off on it, whatever, was fine, thought, never got it. Finally have it after two years. So it's for sale. I'm asking uh, a decent amount of money for it. I will put a link to, well, there's a couple different ads floating around, either Craigslist, uh, the Aprilia Forum, the Barf Board. And on the Weira boards as well. Sorry, I had to think about it everywhere. I've got it posted. So I will, I'll put a link to it. If anyone's uh, interested, take a peek at it. If you know anyone who's interested in buying a uh, cool old gray market uh, 250cc sport bike, um, drop us a line, rumblestripradio at gmail.com, and we can get that sold, and we can move on and hopefully buy my Aprilia. If not, then there's a few other bikes uh, that I'm looking at as well, but got to get the bike sold before I can do anything else really as far as purchasing a motorcycle so struggle lead struggled through the news oops struggling yes exactly so let's uh let's hear from one of the boys in the mpg crew in fact uh let's hear from bob hayes bob welcome back bob is uh, is officially back he's been debriefed he is uh, back home in the uh, pacific northwest and i believe will be back at the helm of MotoGP od very very soon here so uh thanks bob um, for serving the country, for coming home safe, and we'll look forward to hearing you on uh, MotoGP OD soon. 240 horsepower, 200 miles per hour, two wheels with no roll cage. This is the world of motorcycle road racing, the pinnacle of motorsport. I'm Bob Hayes, host of MotoGP OD, the podcast about motorcycle road racing. Tune in each week as we discuss what's happening in MotoGP, World Superbike, and AMA racing. Race reports, tech talk, opinion, reader email, we have it all. Just go to www.motogpod.com and subscribe. All right, so Shanghai. Um, some good some good racing going on in there in, in different classes. Uh, MotoGP, we'll, we'll start with them. The, the, man, uh, well, let's just start and go back to... Um, practice and qualifying, I guess, first. And uh, during qualifying, mid to late late in qualifying, I don't know, like 15, 18, 20 minutes left in qualifying, 
Jacques, uh, Jacques crashed, went down, and I guess how he came down, I'm not, it was a little bit unclear, but I think it was uh, a foot peg punctured him on the inside of his arm, kind of in the in the crook of his arm, or right near that area on the inside. You look in your arm where the where it bends, you know, the opposite side of your elbow. So I guess it uh, punctured him pretty good through there. He they, he was out of there that day. Now I've heard both he had surgery in both um, China and in France. Maybe it was just China. Uh, but he headed uh, home, not to France, but I guess he lives in Barcelona. And this would be if I was uh, in a better flow where I could come up with some uh, some witty comment about, well, now that the uh, been a regime change in, in France and uh, they're not going to, or they're talking about dropping the tax if you make, you know, on your wealth and on income and getting it below like 80% tax or whatever, and he might move back home. But eh, anyways... I can't, uh, I can't come up with anything humorous for that. But anyway, so uh, OJ is going to be back. Uh, is hoping to be back for the race at Le Mans in, a week from, uh, well, a week from tomorrow. As uh, as I record this, I guess I should say a week from tomorrow. The question I have though is if he is unable to race, if it doesn't heal, if infection, you know, you get a puncture wound. Even the, those are nasty. They can get. Doesn't matter what you do to get it sewed up. It's still a real big chance on infection and stuff like that. Um, and it's not just because I'm a big fan of the show House that I, you know, know of these things. It just I've had a car antenna come through my arm before when I got hit. So I still bear the scars of it. But I, anyways, I'm just wondering if OJ can't race, would Kawasaki just run? Uh, Depunier again, since he was the only uh, Kawasaki rider at Shanghai because of that? Or do they have anyone they could bring in as a second rider? Um, would be interesting to see. Do they bring in... Um... Oh, Christ. Now I can't think. Is it Rolfold? Nieto. It's Nieto. The races in World Superbike. Um, can't believe they bring in Laconi because he's done absolutely nothing. Nieto's shown a little speed here and there. Um... Uh, Although I guess Laconi might make sense if it's the French GP, right? Um, oh, well. Totally out of that one. So we'll see. Oh, Hopefully OJ, OJ uh, will make it back, and, and we'll see him back, and he's healing up well. Uh, Stoner had a... Well, there's about 12, about 12 minutes left in qualifying. Uh, Stoner had a, a motor go boom right at the end of the front straight, and luckily he was able to get back in. He got in one or two laps on a backup bike, but uh, not able to improve his time, ended up fifth, which he says is fine. As long as he's on the first two rows, it's it's all irrelevant from there. And then uh, as everyone was trying to get that last, absolutely last fast lap in, uh, Caparossi and uh, Vermeulen came together. Uh, Caparossi coming into the corner off the back straight where you're going from, let's see if I remember the numbers right, 320-plus you know, K, down to 50k, something like that, yeah. Essentially from 200 miles an hour, or very, yeah, essentially to, yeah, essentially 200 miles an hour down to about 30. That's that's a lot of speed to scrub off. So anyways, as he's doing that, he takes a bit of a wider line trying to keep up the momentum on, on a good lap time. Vermeulen was, was drafting right behind him. He saw uh, Caparossi drift out wide. He went underneath on his own line and they came together, fell down, went boom. And they 
both was like, okay, it's one of those things, not happy with it, but whatever. So that was that. Was that. Valentino Rossi put in maybe the best single lap of his life for that qualifying. I mean, he was way out in front of everyone uh, for qualifying. Let's see if I can, oops, sorry about that. So Rossi was, oops, stop that, don't, don't do that. My uh, printer is out of ink, so I've got to read this right off the web page. And now, so uh, Rossi one fifty eight four two four in qualifying to uh, Hopper at a one fifty nine three, so almost nine tenths of a second. Um, did Rossi throw in uh, a better time in qualifying? That's just unbelievable. So Michelin still maybe holding an advantage here in in qualifying tires. I mean Hopkins and then uh, Edwards was was third and then apparently Colin got a similar tire to what Rossi had in Istanbul because his race you know went from bad to Patronus thank you Julian that's even if you took that from somewhere else that's that's one of the great lines ever uh so that was the front row and then uh, Stoner as we said uh, fourth the Hobbit was in fifth Melandri in sixth and uh, Depunier Barros uh, Hayden in ninth again Michelin tires uh, helping to mask that. Um, Nakano, Hoffman, uh, Elias, Roberts, bad, bad, uh, bad weekend down in 16th. Um, so that was qualifying. Uh, some, you know, stuff going on there. Now, as far as the race goes, sorry, um, sorry, going to, uh, obviously the big, the big news was uh, turn one on, on lap one. And Tony Elias tried to go Tony Elias, making some move, going in sideways, and then ended up tangling up with uh, three riders, or causing three riders to run off track, that being both Dantine Bikes and Nicky Hayden. Now, Hoff wasn't affected as much, although he did lose some some uh, uh, some time, was able to get back in. Nick went way out onto the left, and I think he ended up losing about 20 seconds, 15 or 20 seconds of that. The worst, though, was uh, was Barros because his front tire got lodged in um, underneath Elias's bike, so they had to get that out um, or pull his bike out of that with no help from the marshals, apparently. And his bike had stalled. And there's some pictures floating around uh, on the different forums where you can see right before uh, Barros runs right into Elias's bike, where he is literally on the the front suspension is fully compressed and then some. I mean he's he's down on the stops and you know pushing the stops down. That's how hard he is. And this is on dirt and grass, right? There, is that cement over there? Whatever it is, it's got to be cement. Combination of all the three. Um, but uh, so the bike stalled. I guess the the one advantage of where he uh, stalled is that there was a downhill incline. And he is now, according to um, Liam Schubert, the only person to ever manually start as, De- as Desmo Sedici. Again, once again, no help from the marshals in getting him refired. He uh, got on the downhill and kind of paddled himself to get it fired and going. So by the time he got it back and running, he had lost 40, 40 seconds, I believe, was the, was the number. And the fact that he was able act- to actually... Um, run essentially the same lap times that um that Hopper and um 
and uh, Rossi were, you know, had he not been caught up in that melee, he might have been battling for a podium once again. So I'm sure Barros is uh, highly pissed or was highly pissed about that. Just, a, you know, opportunity lost, really, there. But, uh, I mean, a hell of a ride just to get back into 14th and at least score some points. Um, the uh, the other incident uh, of note was uh, Tamada and Nakano coming together. And I had picked Tamada as my first DNF in the right-on-two tipping. In fact, I had picked Stoner to win. I did this on, what, Wednesday or Thursday? I think I threw in my my picks. I had picked Stoner to win, Hopper on the podium, and then I'd pick Tamada as my first DNF. And if it hadn't been for Elias, I would have had maximum points. I almost had maximum points in my tipping. So, anyways. As far as the race goes, uh, some good battles. Obviously, Rossi was down um, what, about 10, 10, 12K on Stoner. Tried to give him a run for his morning. Stoner would hold him off in a, in a couple different spots. There was a the section right before... Well, middle T2, I guess it was T2 section where Rossi uh, could give Stoner some fits, get underneath him, got, did it, a, you know, on several laps in a row, it seemed, uh, but get onto the back straight. And, and it isn't just the outright power, top speed advantage that, uh, that Stoner had in the Ducati. It was pure acceleration. That's, it's different. And what I want to say is they could go side by side and it was, it was, not just that they'd accelerate at about the same rate and then towards the end uh, Stoner had a little bit more. No, I mean, they hit the gas and just, well, it, this is a little bit of an exaggeration, but it was like, uh, you know, uh, let's think of something, yeah, like a Yugo next to a 911 Turbo. Now, it's not that bad, but let's just say the, uh, for our friends in Europe, a Vauxhall Vectra, Sorry, just Clark, Jerry, Jeremy Clarkson's favorite car of all time. Um, but yeah, you know, like your average uh, a, a Camry or an Accord or, you know, fill in the blank there. I mean, it was just the, the, the rate of acceleration was absolutely huge uh, between that. Now, what I will say is given all that, that the race that Rossi put in to stay that close to Stoner, given the difference in... Um, not just in uh, top speed, but also in in outright acceleration. I'm going to say that that may have been the greatest ride that Valentino Rossi has ever put in. The fact that he was able to battle lap after lap, stay that close on a you know Michelin little issues last time. I guess some issues this time, just not with Rossi. Uh, and by the way. Rossi, obviously, I think we talked about this last last time where Rossi got uh, definitely got some pushback on his on his comments from Elias. Uh, Toby Moody just flat out asked him in the in the press conference. So you think that Elias is riding recklessly and dangerously? So how how was the, how different how is it different uh, his pass on you different than your pass on Gibernau? And um, Rossi's like, well. That was racing, and and I guess uh, uh, Toby Toby said on the broadcast, he's like, uh, I was going to ask another question, and 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 a follow up question to push that a little bit, and then decided better of it or something words to that along. But 
Uh, I guess the Italian press then picked up and, and I guess hit him pretty hard with that. So, which is surprise, a bit surprising, but you know, you got to be able to get, to get as good as you give. But apparently, final word was that both he and, uh, and, um, Kenny Jr.'s tires, the construction sort of was, was coming apart. They didn't delaminate, but, um, the cords or the belts or whatever sort of broke and caused some bulging on the inside of the tire, which is why it felt like it was um, going flat or out of balance, and, and that was it. So the actual lamination of the tires was fine. It was more something in the construction of the tires. So uh, the carcass being too soft with the amount of pressure ex exuded, I'm not an engineer. I'm just sort of relaying um, some thoughts about what that might be. But uh, as I said, uh, Ross, given how close Rossi finished there, was running with him, um, I got to believe that may be one of Rossi's greatest rides ever, even though he didn't win. Um, his qualifying lap was almost Senna-esque in that he, you know, he said after, after the lap in the, in the press conference, he had no idea how he did that lap. Uh, he pushed it, you know. I, I, I pushed to maximum and the uh, time come up. I am like, wow, I, I, I not know how the, the time come. Uh, the, the tires, uh, they were good. Uh, the bike was, uh, good, but, uh, I'm very happy with the time. Just, uh, not know how, how I do it, but I'm very happy. Tomorrow for the race. Uh, Casey, he will be very tough. I will try to stay with him and uh, hope for a win, but to maximize points for a championship. So that's my Valentino Rossi impression. Let me know what you think of that. Um, and really, even though he finished second in the race uh, to Stoner, he was relatively happy with that. And I think even he understood how good of a race that was. Um so, and then of course, uh, also big news was that uh, John Hopkins, after numerous fourth place finishes and uh, many times finishing up on the ground when he had an opportunity to finish on the podium, uh, had a very very solid third place finish. And you know, it's one of those things. I was just waiting for the the crew to kind of have him turn around and um, you know, kind of struggle and, and eventually pull that imaginary monkey off his back, so that after five years of being in MotoGP. Um, showing a ton of promise, a ton of speed, that he finally has that monkey off his back. So hopefully that was the breakthrough that Hopper needed. Obviously, the Suzuki is a much, much, much better bike um, this year than it's than it's probably ever been since he's been on the bike. And maybe the best package that he's had since his, his first year in MotoGP on the WCM Yamaha. So... Um, so let's hope for uh, for good things for Hopper. He's a good kid, uh, very fast. Everyone seems to like him. So, and apparently the mailman is showing up because Lola's barking in the back. If you can hear her. <laughs> Anyways, and uh, I'm sorry. So, for, uh, oh, the other um, interesting uh, bit in there, uh, or a couple interesting bits I found in the race. If you look at the top speed charts throughout the race. Uh, the Hobbit was two clicks down on Casey. So 
the outright top speed of the Honda seems to be there as long as you're four foot eleven, 190 pounds, or 190 pounds, yeah, 98 pounds, and can tuck behind a non-existent fairing. And this was, um, I had thought I'd heard this and long before, you know, in preseason testing and, and definitely came out once again. Um, Nick was diplomatically, I think I put, he was disappointed that there was, that he didn't have a fairing for, uh, a different fairing for Shanghai, that he's still running the standard fairing that everyone else is, uh, even though he is essentially nine, nine inches taller than, um, than the Hobbit. And he can't, um, he can't get in behind the fairing as much. Also, that Honda has spent no time in the wind tunnel with the bike and with, you know, the bike and rider as a combination. So that even though he has, you know, a non-existent fairing on that bike, um, you spend a little time, you spend a few hours in a wind tunnel, uh, you can learn how you need to position your body and kind of build a little muscle memory so that on, you know, three quarter mile long straights or 1200 meter straights, um, you can tuck behind and minimize the drag, but there was a 12 kilometer, 12, 14 kilometer difference between, um, Pedroza and, and Nick. And that has everything to do with aerodynamics on that. And the fact, you know, lack of a fairing on that. Now I am going to give the Hobbit a little bit of credit here. Even he has come out and said that the chassis on the, uh, on the 212 is crap. Uh, that the front end is vague, it has has no feel, uh, that he has no confidence in it, it doesn't matter what they do to the forks, that it's there's something in the chassis, even though they gave him a um, different linkage for the swing arm and, and how the shock mounts in there and everything like that, um, that it made a difference, but nowhere near enough. So basically, Honda is going to be having to bang out a new chassis here uh, very soon, otherwise they're looking at a rough season. But so uh, I guess it's official. Everyone who is on the uh, Honda 212 says that the front end sucks. So Honda, I'm sure Honda will still um, uh, will take a will still take a page out of the Araldo Ferracci, uh, the book. Uh, the bike, Araldo would say, hey, "The bike, it is fine. There is uh, nothing wrong with the bike." It is the rider, the guy. The guy is not riding the bike properly. The bike is uh, fine. Uh, it's uh, the guy on the bike. But Honda, you know, normally it's like, you know, Honda's in, in some ways the same same thing because, you know, engineers and engineered by committee. Uh, the bike is fine. It's the riders. Well, you got six guys telling you that the chassis sucks. So go figure. Maybe Maybe you were wrong. Uh, was oh the other interesting bit uh, a bit of technical bit that uh, came out. Where did I read this? Because this was in the. I wish I could remember where. I, I I guess I should source my you know when I when I'm sourcing stuff I should write down the source instead of just thinking that I'm going to remember it. Uh, but basically, what was interesting is that the software that Ducati runs, and you got to believe that other people are doing something similar is that um, Ducati sets it up for a certain way for the first half of the race. And then after halfway, the software analyzes performance, fuel, you know, fuel used and all that. And then on the fly 
makes adjustments so that um, so that they keep enough fuel to last the race and you know maximize power for the fuel available. I guess I should say, um, which is pretty interesting. Um, not that that should be any great uh, revelation that uh, we're, we're, they're doing that. I mean, you know, going back into the first year of the four-stroke era, you know, Nick's like, I need uh, more engine braking. Um, and, the, you know, and his engineer is saying, what gears do you need more engine braking? Um, so the fact that, you know, we're analyzing fuel and then making adjustments in a sense, uh, remapping it if need be halfway through a race, I guess that should not come as surprising. It just for, for us non-engineers who follow the race, just like, well, that's interesting. And, you know, and the evolution of how the sport goes, you know, on top of when they, Anytime they pull in the clutch, it essentially shuts off the fuel flow. Um, downshifting through gears, they're doing interesting things with fuel flow. To you know, they got 21 liters of fuel to use this year. They're running the same distance. Um, so, the uh, as far as the 250 race goes, another um, well, it was pretty much a runaway by uh, by Jorge, and he decided to plant another flag in China. Not as um, didn't have quite the dramatic effect that doing it in front of his home crowd did. Yeah, you know, it was cool there. China was more just Jorge being Jorge. You know, Manny being Manny being Manny, Jorge being Jorge. Uh, who knows? Um, great, uh, great battle um, for a couple different spots. But the ride of the day had to go to um, to Batista. Now, if I understood his uh, his English. Um, in the post-race conference, the first couple laps, there was a problem. He had a problem with the motor in his bike where it wasn't running uh, correctly, cleanly, whatever. He was apparently it was way down on power, so he was down in in eighth, ninth, tenth, eighth or ninth, maybe even as far as tenth position. But after I think he said five laps or around four or five laps, the motor came on song, and then he then he was running phenomenally the rest of the race, made his way up into second spot. And those of you who watched the race saw the the uh, great battle that he and uh, Davizioso had, and it, it, come, it came down back straight on the brakes, drafts around, cuts in front. They they touch. He pushes Dovi right on the edge of the rumble strips, uh, gets around. Dovi wasn't happy, um, or yeah, Davizioso, DeAngelis. Hold on. I guess we need to run through some stuff for uh, results from MotoGP as well, but <laughs> yes, Uskahani. Where is that? Yeah, I was right. It was Dovi. So they got to, got a little bit of rough. Batista was happy. Dovi was pissed. Great race. So, um, sorry. Let's go back and uh, MotoGP results. Sorry, I normally have this printed off, but like I said, my printer's out of ink. Um. So Stoner, Rossi, Hopkins, Hobbit, Melandri, Caparossi. A little disappointing for Caparossi, I think, sixth spot. Um, Vermeulen, Depunye, Hoffman in ninth, and Cheka in tenth, then Colin way back in eleventh. Nick ended up twelfth, thirty-seven seconds off, which considering he lost, you know, say twelve to twelve to fifteen, maybe as much as twenty seconds, um, he could have been in the top. Five, six, seven. There, you know. Anyways, 
Sylvan Gintley, not too bad, 13th spot. Uh, Barros ended up 50, oh, he lost more than that. He lost more time than that then, because uh, he was 55 seconds back, so he must have lost about a minute there trying to get the bike refired. And then uh, Kenny was uh, was last um, in 15th. So your points, Stoner now uh, won three of four races. Out on top with 86, Rossi 71 points and a big drop-off. Uh, the Hobbit is in third with 49 um, Landry in fourth with 41, Hopper now up to fifth with 39, Elias 35 points in sixth, Collins seventh place with 31, a tie for eighth between Nick and, and uh, Loris with 30 points, and then in tenth spot is uh, Chris Vermeulen with 30 points. As far as team standings go, uh, Marlboro Ducati out on top, as you would imagine, 116, Fiat Yamaha 102, Repsol Honda 179, Grassini 76, uh, the Rizla team was 69, Pramac with 46. And manufacturer standings, uh, Ducati 86, Yamaha 71, Honda 69, Suzuki 46, Kawasaki 23, and Kenny Senior's team with 4. 250 results, the, your, your top 10 was um, uh, Lorenzo, Bautista, Davizioso, DeAngelis, uh, then Calio, who actually led the race for a little bit, which was which was cool. See him up there. Uh, Barber in sixth, Simone in uh, seventh, Luti in in eighth. Uh, Hiroyama, I think he's still recovering in um, in ninth. His brother had a really bad off on turn one, and in um, Lai uh, finished in tenth. Points. Um, Davizios, or excuse me, Lorenzo ninety five, uh, Davizioso sixty eight. DeAngelis, 59, Bautista, 56, Barbara, 34, Luti, 32, Simon, uh, 26, Calio, 21, along with Lai, and then Hiro Aoyama, um, tied with Takahashi, with 17. 125 race was uh, was a pretty good race, just in the fact that the lead group was anywhere between, oh, gee, eight, seven, eight people at one point, got as many as... 10 or 11 at another point. I mean, it, some good dicing going on back and forth through there. Um, it just it was, it was just cool. I mean, it's one of the reasons I love the 125s and the 125 race. They're all pretty similar. Um, but just the fact that you get the big bunches of people with some crazy moves um, and, and in my usual over-the-topness, you got to love it when you get these guys going 14 wide into a corner. Okay, maybe it was four and five wide into a couple corners, but still, it was amazing to see some of the weaving and you know going on in the back straight, catching a draft, trying to break the draft. It was it was cool. Um, but uh, Pesha came out on top with that one. Uh, Faubel was second, and uh, Rabat, as um, as uh, Julian likes to call him, not just Rabat, but Rabat. Anyways, uh, Tamashi fourth, uh, Simon Corsi fifth, Gadea sixth, uh, Ransader in seventh, Bradley Smith, the uh, potential savior for all of England. Just kidding. <laughs> you know, I guess the Brits, they get a guy in uh, GP who um, actually can uh, can go well. Uh, you know, he is the he is the he is now the second coming. Uh, Esperago in uh, ninth and Pacini was in tenth. Your standings, uh, Pesic, uh, on top, Talmashi second, Faubel third, Corsi fourth, Esperago fifth, 
Jean Olive in sixth, De Rosa seventh, Koyama eighth, Rabat in ninth, and the Ransader in tenth. So those are your results from uh, Shanghai with um, Le Mans coming up, uh, like I said, a week from starting a week from tomorrow as, as we record this. The interesting bit will be, as um, as Toby said in the interview last week, uh, now that we're going to get to uh, a little bit, the tracks have some twisty bits to it, uh, now does this play to Yamaha and to Rossi's strengths? We will see um, just how, uh, potentially how good the Ducatis are um, on the on the tighter stuff. So, um, got a few more things we want to wrap up before we get out of here. But let's hear from uh, a couple more guys in the uh, MotoGP or MotoGP crew, MPG crew. Yeah, was doing good for a while, and then we'll wrap up and we will get out of here for today. So, where are you, Ray? Listen up, everyone. If you ride a sport bike and you're not listening to the Knee Dragon podcast, you're not getting the whole story. The Knee Dragon podcast is motorcycle talk that doesn't suck. We cover all things sport bike related, from superbike and MotoGP racing to the newest street sport bikes, from riding technique to the latest technology. If it affects our sport, it's in the show. So check it out. www.kneedragon.net Calling all Canadians. Do you ride a bike on the back of a bike or daydream about either one? Do you like to lumber along on a Sunday morning or scrape your pegs in the twisties? Do you like to dodge sand dunes or ford rivers? Well, if you answered yes to any of the above, then why not give a listen to the Twisted Wrist podcast? The Twisted Wrist is the first podcast dedicated to the Canadian rider from a Canadian perspective. So why not toss on your jacket and gloves, lace up your boots, strap on your lid, and plug into the Twisted Wrist? Your ticket to Northern Adventure is at twistedwrist.blogspot.com. The Twisted Wrist, podcasting with a mouthful of bugs. So, um, coming up this weekend, actually, uh, well, about less than 24 hours, uh, World Superbikes are at Monza, one of the uh, absolute cradles of speed and one of the temples of speed that there are in the world. I loved. I want to make it to that track one day to uh and walk it or to get it on a scooter or even ride it at speed um and actually go into the closed section a little bit and uh, and check out the the old section with the with the banking on it um any of you who have uh, watched the movie grand prix will will know what the banking at monza is all about but um it's one of the truly great movies of all time for uh, any kind of gearhead, even if you're not into Formula One and cars. Um, it's still a okay, – the acting is a little you know, marginal at times, the storyline a bit dodgy, but it doesn't matter because it was really good. Um, so Biaggi, first, uh, first time back home riding a superbike uh, you know, in competition, I guess you should say. So I'm sure huge, huge expectations for for Biaggi at Monza this weekend. I was talking about how he really hasn't ridden that ridden that track, uh, but that since he learns tracks quickly, that shouldn't be a problem. He will have his home fans behind him to uh, push him along to victory. So we'll see if that happens. Uh, obviously, Bayless, uh, Bay- yeah, Bayless and uh, Toslin 
we'll have uh, quite a bit to say about that, and we'll see how that sorts out. But should be some some really good racing at Monza this weekend. It, you would think that it would be uh, advantage Ducati in some ways, but I think the Hondas have have more power, have more top speed than the Ducatis. It's just how much will the uh, Ducati Tifosi um, push uh, you know push the bike along a little bit? So. Interesting. I'm, I'm very interested. I, I, like I said, great. Uh, Monza is a great race, and it's actually the only track. Uh, if, if any of you remember back in about was it '99 or 2000, there was a um, World Superbike video game for the PC, and um, I ended up buying it and playing it. Monza was the only track that I could ever get down, probably because it's a relatively simple track to remember. Um, I can go on a, I can, when I was racing, I could go on a track, even a very complicated track, and learn it very quickly. Um, I'd say I was flying on it, but I mean, like, I knew where to go, knew where to break. Um, nothing came up as a surprise or would forget where I was on the track. I play video games. I'm, I'm lost. It doesn't matter. I could do a hundred laps on a track. It's just, it's just not the same thing for me, whatever. So, um, anyone who's raced the, raced the long track at Shannonville, uh, been to the race at Shannonville and uh, for the long track, uh, or even seen it on uh, on TV, will understand what I mean. One night, like, that is a long, twisted, complicated flop around ninety different ways kind of track. And it's like five kilometer, five over, maybe it's a little over five kilometers. Anyways, um, half a dozen laps, I could, I had it down. I knew where I was going, knew where stuff was, knew the places to avoid, the patches. You know, if I were to try and play that in a video game, I'd be. I could play it for a month and still be lost on the track. Oh well. Anyways, but um, I guess with that, we're uh, we will get out of here. That pretty much covers what I wanted to uh, touch on today. Uh, a lot, you know, like I said, Shanghai race, a lot to talk about, a lot of good stuff there. Um, World Superbike Superbikes at Monza, um, Motors, Miller Motorsport testing at uh, or for the AMA Infinity. Oh yeah, before I forget, um, Infineon is uh, is about a week away also known as Sears Point. Not going to be able to make it, unfortunately. Trying to uh, get a little work for the NBA playoffs from ABC again. We'll see if that actually comes through. But um, if you haven't, go find the transcript of the uh, conference, the uh, phone-in conference with Maladin there. Some some great, great one-liners by Maladin. Pretty much laying a smackdown on, on uh, Miguel. Uh, left and right two or three occasions where he really smacked down miguel was was quite funny and uh, once or twice on ben not so much as you know not so much there but it, it was maladin being maladin but in a very funny way so go check that out um yeah so that'll that'll take care of it so i would uh, tell you and encourage you to um tell your friends about the show burn them a cd send them the link to the show help them subscribe to the show do whatever you got to do. Let's uh, get the show growing again. Okay, hit uh, hit one of those plateaus. We've been a little little flat here. We hit those once in a while, but I want to see the see the growth take off again. So, uh, like I said, burn them a CD and everything. You know, whatever we got to do. With that, um, the uh, outro music today. Yes, that would be a good thing to talk about. Um, Going to be. It was one of the things I had the, I had the uh, iTunes uh, on shuffle and hadn't heard this song in a while, which is amazing. 
came across it, and I'm like, as soon as I heard a few chords, I'm like, ah, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then I went and I was just looking at it, and I go, wow, this song is only a minute and 58 seconds, I believe. Something crazy like that. So, so you get a guitar player who's the singer, the drummer, a minute and 58. Can't get, you know, just about perfect for, you know, a punk tune. And it's a Detroit band, too. So couldn't come up with a good something Italian theme for uh, for Monza, but you know me. And even though, as much as I want to get the hell out of this town, um, it's been my home for almost 20 years, so I have an affinity for it. So with that, we'll tell you that Rumble Strip Radio is a uh, production of Raul Duke Media LLC and is protected under a Creative Commons license. Some rights are reserved. Until I talk to you again next week, where we'll talk about World Superbikes at Monza. We'll preview uh, MotoGP at Le Mans, the AMA at um, Sears Point. I am the Duke. Have fun. Be good. Most importantly, keep it on two wheels. We'll talk to you soon. Now.